Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dwall. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hey, all you Greyhounds. And today we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 11, Mom City. Ted's mom shows up to surprise him while Jamie goes to surprise his mom because the Greyhounds are in Manchester to try to finally slay their white whale. And Nate gets some surprise visitors, too. So in case you guys haven't seen my meme... It best sums up how I feel about this episode. So it's two photos of Ted and his mom's encounter at the end. And the first part says, Mom City was masterful. Thank you, Ted Lasso team. The other frame says, but fuck you for making me cry so much. I legit cried while I was writing my notes for this podcast. So I hesitate doing this again because I said it for sunflowers and then... The rating dropped, but since there's quite a bit of gap right now, I'll choose to mention it again. Mom City is now the highest rated Ted Lasso episode ever on IMDb with a 9.4 rating. And as we'll get to, it's pretty easy to see why. Yes, it was kind of the most Ted Lasso episode of Ted Lasso, but it also, I have a couple of differing thoughts about it. I'm also looking at it through the lens of whether or not this is the penultimate episode of this season or the penultimate episode forever and ever for the entire series but i thought it was brilliant the music the storyline the comedy it's i mean it has all of those things that made me fall in love with the show to begin with and it flew by i didn't even blink that it was 70 minutes long it felt so fulfilling and so good the entire time it made me look back on some of the other things that we missed. I mean, it highlighted for me some of the things that we missed along the way. If it's actually the next to last episode of the whole show and Ted Lasso is going away as they told us they would in three seasons, some of the choices make a lot of sense to me, even though I feel like they left out stuff that was important to the storyline, but they're definitely trying to kind of wrap things up and get us to a landing point. Because if you're watching Ted Lasso, you're probably like me and that we all kind of want a happy ending. But I feel like there were definitely some things that we we missed out on in order to get to that happy ending. There's stuff that I wish they had given us more of, and it definitely was highlighted for me. So what would some of these things be, Kristen? As I kind of said last week as well, I felt like we could have so much more time being given to the team, right? I mean, Van Damme was amazing. His his performance this week in the game was just unbelievable. We could have spent more time on Keely and Roy and all of that uncertainty in the air. We could have spent more time with Trent and how he makes his way around and his observance of all of that goes on in the locker room with the team. We could have even spent more time with Beard. I feel like when they do ensemble scenes, and I would really have loved that, like having Keely back with the team this week made me realize that Juno is better when she's included. The character of Keely is way better when she's included with the team rather than just being off on her own. So I want more of that ensemble. And also the fact that it feels like it's ending forever is kind of weighing heavily on my mind. So I'm sure you can relate to that, Kevin. I wish they would just put us out of our misery and let us know one way or the other. It's really hard to not know. So Kev, do you want to talk about what we're not going to be doing this coming Tuesday and that we're completely devastated and heartbroken about what we're not doing on Tuesday? 
So on May 30th, there was supposed to be a special season three finale event hosted by the Paley Center for Media, which would have included a screening of this season's final episode, plus a discussion with most of the actors. Allegedly, because of the writer's strike, they decided to cancel the event two days ago. So yeah, that was fun. It's not fun. It made me really sad. If it's because of the writer's strike, I support and understand. But you guys, your co-hosts, we're going to be together and potentially doing a podcast for the very first time in the same room. I was very excited about getting to meet Kevin and hang out with him in real time, in real life, face to face. And I'm really sad because we have a group of really great Ted Lasso friends that we were going to go with. And now we're not going. And this is the third time that I haven't been able to attend a Ted Lasso event. And I'm I'm starting to get a little salty about it. I was supposed to go to the season two premiere. Didn't get to go because I was sick. Wanted to go to the season three premiere. Wasn't able to get a ticket. Thought this is my big shot, my chance to go to one of the events. And then they cancel it. Let's not act like you haven't been to any Ted Lasso events, period. You did go to that one for your consideration last summer. Yes, I did get to go to the four-year consideration event last summer, which was so much fun. So as Ted would say, hush your butt. I'll get my butt hushed. Speaking of things Ted said, one of his quotes I thought was absolutely perfect for this episode. As you may recall, in episode 206, when Ted meets Deborah through Rebecca's window, when he turns the beard, he says, Boy, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an instruction manual as to why they're nuts. And we saw exactly that with Ted and Dottie. We sure as heck did. And since the show really focuses so much on fathers and the effect our dads have on us and the characters, I really think that it's fitting and really important that we talk about the mom factor because it's just as formative. And in Ted's case, we get to see a little bit of the darker origins of his perpetual positivity. To me, from the jump, Mom City felt like a very close parallel episode to Man City in season two. And I feel like we see Ted and Jamie on that parallel journey going through all of their familial trauma and dealing with their parents. And I thought it was really beautifully done that they were confronted again in this episode with their family from the past and the present. And they dealt with what it means for them now and moving forward into the future. So Kevin, I wouldn't necessarily call him Led Tasso in this episode, but when we see Ted and his mom pops up, we get like weird, nervous, angsty Ted rather than sunny, happy, friendly Ted. He's like edgy. He's like nervous. He's very uncomfortable almost the whole episode. And you can see it, right? Because he's so edgy around his mom. I thought that was interesting. But I was trying to think of another nickname for this Ted and I couldn't think of a good one. Fed up Ted? Ted is definitely fed up. That's a really good one, actually, because he's definitely stuffed with resentment towards his mom that he hasn't really processed through. There's definitely a wedge that got driven in between Ted and his mom, right? Because he was never really allowed to to grieve. I mean, as a parent, she had to move on. And her coping mechanism, obviously, was to pretend like she was okay. But she also made Ted feel like he wasn't allowed to grieve his dad. And she didn't, sounds like she didn't spend a lot of time grieving him either. And that's a really hard thing to go through as a kid. And I think watching them do that 
don't you worry about me thing when they're both fighting about who's going to sleep on the bed and who's going to sleep on the couch. I was like, oh God, could somebody please just take the damn battery? You know, when moms do that, oh, I'm on fire. Don't worry about me. Just take care of yourselves. Don't bring me the fire extinguisher or anything. Just I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Oh, my mom used to do that. And it drives me insane. The deflection, the through line, and the fact that he really, really has seemed to want to go home the entirety of the third season really gets kind of like exacerbated or triggered when his mom shows up. I feel like having Ted's mom involved kind of gives Ted's arc a bit more closure because in that confrontation with his mom at the end of the episode where he did the Jamie, thank you, fuck you. I feel like it was a really good thing for him to do as far as processing is concerned because he was so angry that she never really let him grieve her, his dad and she didn't grieve either. He also got to thank her for everything that she gave him and everything that she sacrificed to make sure that he grew up happy and loved, right? In the wake of something so tragic. It's a really deep subject. And I thought that they did it so well. I thought Jason was just brilliant, just brilliant. It was pretty fucking jarring because Ted has sworn a total of two times before this. And then he fucking drops four F-bombs on his mother. Whoa. Yeah, that was definitely intense. She also really pushed his buttons. If you remember, if you kind of noticed, she dropped silent F-bombs, kind of poked him about his panic attacks when she pulls out all of the clippings. And you can see very clearly that there's a headline about his panic attack. And Ted doesn't take the bait, thankfully, because he's worked on himself. But when his mom says, oh, I bet that therapist blames me. And then when she's asked whether or not she might consider therapy, she kind of just dismisses it. And also in the same sentence says that she loves tea, which like, oh my God, (laughs) the Freudian overtones of it all. I was like, Ted's mom loves tea. Oh my God, Dr. Sharon. It was definitely profound. What I think they did do really well was that they showed how Ted was damaged by not having his dad around. And then they showed us how he fears that he's doing that same thing to Henry. So I feel like, you know, we got to put all the puzzle pieces together and connect the dots because Ted's obviously going to go back home and, and be a, be a father. To me, it certainly feels like they're leaning that way, but Certain sectors of the fandom, let's say ones who hope a certain couple get together, they seem to be kind of on the opposite side of the fence, thinking that they're not as convinced that Ted's going home. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, had Ted and Michelle stayed together, I would have hoped that he would have brought them over. But there's all kinds of things that can happen. You know, people can move and relocate. Henry can go be in England with Ted and maybe Michelle will come with too. You never know what what can happen. There was just so much Wizard of Oz overlap, though, that I have to imagine that that Ted's going back to Kansas. Shall I count the different ways that Wizard of Oz was referenced in this episode? Let's do it. So obviously his mom's name is Dottie, which is a nickname of Dorothy. We have the pinball machine. We saw the over the rainbow scene from You've Got Mail. And then the very last song playing over the credits is the song Home from The Wiz. I also think, here's where I go into this philosophy. I also kind of feel like Zava was also kind of a nod to The Wizard of Oz. 
and Shandy, like those storylines were a little bit of a nod because they learned that they don't need a deus ex machina at the end. They just, they need to know and they need to realize that they already have the power inside them and within them and as a team to win. So there's another nod to the Wizard of Oz in my mind. Feels like that's too many to be coincidental. Yeah, I would doubt that it is coincidental, especially given what we know about how intentional they are. This might be the longest podcast we ever do, too, because I still have more to say about Ted. Could probably do a whole podcast episode just on Ted and Dottie. Absolutely. How about that, Annette Badland, reciting the Philip Larkin poem, This Be the Verse? Oh, my gosh. And when she starts, you feel like it's just May talking, but that's actually part of the poem. They fuck you up, your mom and dad. That wasn't just May. But like I said, it could totally sound like it was her. Yeah, for a second, I wasn't sure if it was an actual poem. And then once I listened to it, it it was very clearly a poem. But I have more about that later for my corner kick, by the way. She is very much what Jamie labeled her to be. So wise, like a tall Yoda. Although I think that Annette Badland might be about Yoda-sized. She seems wee. So some people have said that Dottie was kind of weaponizing Henry in a way when he's, when she said that your son misses you because it feels like Ted was saying like all these things you didn't do great. Well, she did apologize, but instead of like kind of explaining why or like what she could do to change, it was like, oh, your son misses you. I don't think she was trying to hurt Ted by saying that. I mean, we know that he already knows that and we already know that his biggest guilt is being away from Henry. I mean, they've kind of almost beaten us over the head with it this season, you know, because he has seemed so preoccupied with it. I mean, I guess if weaponizing is tantamount to the truth hurting, then okay, yeah, she weaponized it. And I do wish that we had seen her make more amends about the way that she handled everything after Ted's dad's death. But I feel like the unfortunate truth of the matter is, is that parents and kids need to be together if possible. And not having somebody really is, is tough. It's a tough truth, but the truth nonetheless. Did you feel like it was weaponizing it? I can kind of see it both ways, but I would say that when she said that she has something to say to Ted, I definitely didn't think it was going to be that. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to be that either. I was actually, that felt like a little bit of a plot twist for me because I thought they'd maybe get a little bit deeper into their relationship. I mean, honestly, the whole mom thing felt like just wrapping Ted up to point him towards the door to leave to make his exit from Richmond. But it also feels like, and this is probably my hopeful self, imagining and and being hopeful and wishful thinking, that it feels like they're also setting up Richmond to be okay if Ted should be gone. Doesn't it seem that way to you? Well, I mean, yeah, they're about to win the whole fucking thing. Roy has grown so much. Jamie has grown so much. Nate is probably coming back. Beard is beard. I wonder if Beard will take off with Ted, too. But why would he? He's had his heart ripped out of his chest, stomped into a pulp, and dragged through the town square for everyone to ridicule. He's in love. Never a more Beard quote has been uttered than that. I thought that was so hilarious. Ah, Beard, this whole episode was so amazing. He killed me. We'll get into that, but oh my gosh. So when Ted is essentially making it seem like that he's not as much of a parent as he could be i'm like the fuck bro like every time we've seen him with henry like couldn't ask him to be more caring and present so i'm like whoa 
I do think Ted is an excellent dad as well, but none of that matters if he isn't in Henry's life on the daily. I mean, it matters, but I feel like the big elephant in the room is just that he's 4,000 miles away from his kid. I don't have any kids, but I will say that I kind of share similar sentiments to Ted. Like, this is kind of how I look at it. The first couple of years are terrible because they're just like babies and crying and shitting all the time. And then from like maybe three to preteens, they're cool because they're like growing and learning stuff. But then they turn to moody teenagers and then they fucking leave for college, which you have to pay out of your ass for. Seems like kind of a raw deal to be parents. So as, as the other parent on the podcast, feel free to tell me how wrong I am. I have never thought it was a raw deal to be a parent. It's actually the best job ever. And I'm not just saying that. I would say that the toddler years are probably the toughest, but my kid is in high school and they are awesome. They are the ones that made us our little Ted Lasso illustration for the podcast. The college thing I'm girding my loins for, I might not be the best example of this because I have a great relationship with, with mine and I have never felt like it was a raw deal. It was always more rewarding than tough for me. And remains to be. So there's probably people out there, though, who agree with you. So what what kind of uh, fake games have you invented to, to make them do stuff? When they were that age, I wish I had that strategy because that was so perfect. So, so, so perfect. Although Dottie was hell for Ted, she was hella funny for the rest of us. Rebecca's realization that she was Ted's mother was just perfect. <laughs> who else is gonna walk into her office upon meeting her for the first time and make a joke had to be ted's mom especially with the same rhyming scheme winner winner bf skinner Ooh, that was an interesting one because you know that uh he is the father of be behavioral therapy but that's another oprah probably I love that beard quoted the song Lottie Dottie she likes to party that's a snoop dogg song and that she calls him Weirdo Beardo. And I think that Dottie speaks for all of us when she told Trent that his hair was so fabulous. I mean, we all want to say that to him. And I enjoy the parallel of Ted's mom thinking that Rebecca was offering a tour of London when she just meant the facility. Yep, total Ted, total Ted. I also thought it was so sweet when they were leaving Ted's apartment that they kind of quoted the song, The Sunny Side of the Street. That's a totally mama lasso and ted lasso thing to quote so for those of you not familiar with the song it's a very very old song an old standard but when they are leaving ted's apartment and he says just direct your feet that way and she says and leave your worries on the doorstep those are lyrics from that song very cute and then when she was telling the story about how ted was driving on the wrong side of the road she goes i guess he was destined to live in england although some are thinking that that is maybe to be taken literally as in he'll stay instead of going back to Kansas. I wouldn't be mad about it. A lot of good comedy, but I love Dottie. I love that they called her Mama Lasso. I love that she just had all these outlandish stories about Ted that weren't entirely true. And speaking of comedy, Jamie had a lot of physical comedy in this one. This season three belongs to Phil Dunster. Let's be honest. I mean, I really do love his arc. I love that they have so carefully crafted his arc from the most terrible person to this really amazing person. And I feel like there's kind of a domino effect happening because 
with Keely and Roy to bounce off of him this this episode. It was so great. I mean, they're kind of the thruple that I didn't know that I wanted or needed, but I definitely need them because they're so great, all three of them together. But how beautiful is it that he gets this huge arc and it comes all the way full circle and he gets to come home, play his former team and then win? What? That's a dream. And get a standing ovation from the people who were heckling him the whole time. That made me cry. And then also watching his dad at the end in the rehab facility, watching and smiling. Oh, that was so amazing. When his mother earlier in the episode said, he'll never, ever, ever going to change. Sometimes it's good to be wrong, but it's also really good to realize that you can only change your own attitudes about somebody because usually people don't change. But we've seen that that's not true because Jamie has changed so profoundly. So both the senior and junior tarts are undergoing some sort of transformation. In one of the replies to my Nate Redemption video, I said that the only people on Tylasu who aren't redeemable are Rupert Mannion and James Tart Sr. Well, <laughs> that's a happy surprise, right? I wasn't expecting it. In fact, they kind of made it seem like he was dead when they showed Denbo and Bug in the stand saying his dad would have been proud. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That was, oh, he's dead. But then we get to see him in, in the rehab facility. This is why grammar is important, people. Was implies past tense. They could have said, I'm sure his dad is proud. That would imply he's alive. Well, it's Bug and Dembo, though. How much do you think they really think about grammar? Especially, well, inebriated. Because they did have a flask. And how about Simon, his mom's partner? He completely seems to me like a British Ted. Well, it seems like he likes baking. So when we had that clip of Jamie's childhood room in the trailer, definitely didn't expect the treasures that we get. Man, those posters were epic. And that they were right next to one another. Chef's kiss. So maybe the biggest question is, why is Roy's hair still not like that? <laughs> I know that that mullet was sincerely epic. And of course, a great callback to For the Children when Jamie told Roy that he used to have a poster of him when he was little. I love that their friendship has grown so much. It's so wonderful to see it. They're so fun together. I love that Roy called Jamie into the boot room to talk to him about it and that Bill was so brilliant when he just dove headfirst into Jamie, not really knowing what was bothering him and not being able to put his finger on it, but knowing that he was just so profoundly messed up that he felt like his wings had been clipped and Roy just going, whoa, man. But knowing that there's something so very wrong with Jamie that he needed to be called into the boot room. They're so good together. We completed a rule of three with Keely as she imitated Roy again. The first one, of course, their magnificent meet-cute in season one. And then the second one, she's clothes shopping with Nate. And then in this episode, when she sees her own poster on the wall, she goes, fucking hell. Although I'm a little confused about that because, as you recall, in the pilot, Jamie had a topless photo of Keely in his locker, which Ted tried to tape up. So it's not like she hasn't seen that before. It may have been shocking just to see that Jamie was into her prior to even meeting her if he had a poster of her in his bedroom next to Roy Kent, which is maybe what she was alluding to. Although I guess that also completes another Keeley-related rule of three, because in season one, when she meets Sassy, 
sassy was essentially like my hu- my husband knows you because he masturbates to you all the time or something. He masturbates to you furiously was the actual quote, which made me laugh. Oh, sorry. Furiously. Furiously. Yeah. And then, of course, in the Christmas episode, the Ussy guy was like, you were a seminal figure in my childhood, which is an all-time pun. Yeah, that is a pretty good pun there. <laughs> so I guess with this poster, it's not as explicit, but essentially giving the same meaning. This entire series has been a rule of three the whole way around. Moving right along, I loved the scenes with Jamie's mom. <laughs> I love that her nickname for him was my sexy little baby, which I thought was so funny. Such a great callback to the curse fire and to Aces and that she just really helped Jamie see that he's going to chart his path and he's going to be absolutely fine. There's nothing really like a mom's love to kind of help you get on your feet again. But it's so profound that when your purpose changes so profoundly from doing something like being amazing at something because you want to spite your dad or prove your dad wrong, and then you don't have that anymore. It seemed to me that when Ted was talking to Jamie on the pitch and telling him that he could forgive his dad and that it was for him, it also gave Ted the ability to forgive his mom later. I think that was so beautiful because it really seemed like Jamie and Ted were on this journey together towards their higher selves. And shout out to Van Damme, by the way. What an epic, epic performance. I really loved seeing that. I loved just having the combination of Jamie being so brilliant and setting everybody up to score. And then Van Damme being this unstoppable wall of goalie was so great. Oh, yes. And then, you know, I've been reading that Zaba's whole purpose was just to get them up into the ranks so that they could win the whole fucking thing. And I'm not quite as salty about it as I used to be. I love that the Man City fans too are like, he's a tough lad. So when Roy and Keeley go into the treatment room at the end to celebrate with Jamie and Ted looks on is very similar to the end of season one when Jamie's dad was yelling at him and throwing boots at him. I love that in the same episode where we get this parallel We also saw Jamie's dad in rehab, so it shows that people can change. I love them as a trio, actually. I know I said that kind of jokingly earlier, but seeing the three of them together like that, I thought was so wonderful. We're saying grammar matters, so do words. Thruple, quite different from trio. It's a very different word. You are correct. I was using it facetiously as kind of a joke, but all right, you called me out. And I'll take accountability for what I said. Yes, you are correct, Kevin. Because if Ted Lasso has taught me anything, it has taught me that accountability is important. Accountability matters. I really wish they wouldn't have left us hanging so hard with Roy and Keeley, though. What was she going to say when Jamie interrupted her? Like, what the fuck? Why are they friends only? What is going on? I mean, I just assumed that they were back together last week because he's half naked and in her robe. I'm pretty sure everybody did. And when they were talking to Danny and the during the movie, I thought they were just like trying to play it off. I thought that too, but they've sent us on another kind of, ah, we're not going to tell you. Just like we're not telling you if this is the season or the series finale, we're not going to tell you whether or not Roy and Keeley get back together. I mean, there's almost, forgive me for this. I know that I am the biggest Roy Keeley stan that there ever was, but I kind of wonder 
if Roy and Keeley can go back to what they were or if it's too broken to be put back together again. This is what happens when they don't show us scenes. It is, it is. We start to think about things. We start to analyze it too much because they don't give us what they need because they're doing so much off screen. I blame you, Jason Sudeikis. In the words of Hannah Waddingham, what are you doing to us, Sudeikis? And I don't even get to yell at him on Tuesday the way you instructed me to, and I would have. Hey, hey, I did not instruct you to do that. Well, you kind of did. I wouldn't have done it. I mean, maybe. To use your own word, I was being facetious. Yeah, okay. Sure. Sure. There's so many reasons why they were so great together and some real world reasons why maybe they wouldn't be great together moving on. They helped each other rather. They helped each other break through some really negative relationship patterns. And in my experience, you're not usually with the person that helps you break through and learn things in your life. You don't usually stick with them. We don't know whether or not that's what Ted Lasso is trying to say, but it'll be interesting to find out. It will never be quite as satisfying as the first blushes of the Roy and Keeley storyline did. Maybe they can come back together because everybody deserves a second chance, Keeley. Do you agree with me, Kevin? Maybe not, Rupert. Especially since whatever crazy Rupert lovers, Avengers thing happened at the end seems to foreshadow. You know what? That's really exciting to me that Bex and Miss Cakes showed up at Rebecca's door at the end of the episode. Am I the only one that when Bex said we, I thought she was going to have baby Diane in like a stroller or something? Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that too. Speaking of Bex and Miss Cakes showing up at Rebecca's door, I read on the internet someone likened them to all of Logan Roy's exes and side chicks unionizing like they did on Succession. That's a very funny comparison, but it's not inaccurate. I can't wait to see what happens with that. I'm sure that they recognize that Rebecca is the one person that knows the most and can be of the most assistance for them. And now we turn our attention to the Taste of Athens, where we see the Wonder Kid, or should we say the Wonder Waiter. He was an amazing waiter, man. Woo! Like Jay said, a bit too good. It's definitely crazy how good he was at that, for sure. Especially with the whole four pence for some nuts, where you make five quid in drinks. I wonder if Nate didn't get that his girlfriend was flirting with him when <laughs> she came home after work. And he said, would you like some wine? And, he said, and she said, yes, can I have some nuts while I'm waiting? I thought that was pretty cute. And then he just completely acted like she didn't make a sexy comment to him and just started talking again. Really? I didn't really get that vibe. I think it's because I just watched it for the third time with my assistant this morning because she hadn't seen it yet that I thought that maybe that was not just Jade being funny and making a joke about the fact that he was pushing nuts. But I did wonder if she was being a little filthy with him in a cute way. Maybe it was just a double entendre. That's what I'm thinking. And maybe it's just that I have a dirty mind. Pardon me. Can I say, though, I think we missed some of Nate's arc. I'm not wrong there. There's. It seems like they just fast forwarded us through almost a season's worth of stuff in order to get him back to Richmond. I mean, he had, you know, his moment of character development and growth last week, but I feel like we didn't really walk through the valley of Nate's villainry enough and watch him 
really, really get to the rock bottom, rock bottom and claw his way back up. It feels like he just kind of leapt forward and everything is okay again. I really wanted to see more of his process. I really wanted more of that. And I really wanted to kind of see some moment, maybe connecting with Ted about it instead of not connecting with Ted and having the players come. Well, to be fair, he's in the process of writing a 60-page apology letter. And I love that. I love that he was writing that. They clearly read my Nate Redemption video post where it said, his apology better be fucking epic. That's why they brought the 60 pages, all right? That was specifically for me. But to kind of take your point and go on the flip side, we saw none of the actual happenings at Richmond regarding the Nate decision. It's just like last week, we see Charlie pick up the letter on the lavender, and then this week, oh, he's at Taste of Athens with Colin Isaac. I love, love, loved the kebab bit. Oh my God, that running sight gag with them, everybody eating the kebabs killed me. And then Jay did it at the very end of the episode too, and she was watching Nate and Beard. It was just perfect. So as you may recall, when Richmond faced West Ham for the first time earlier this season, they watched the video footage of Nate ripping the belief sign at halftime, and then they just fucking went bonkers in the second half. So to go from that level of fury to just, oh, yeah, come back, like, there is a lot missing. We sound like broken records, but so many of the arcs, there's, like, so much you have to, like, kind of piece together fill in the blanks yourself and that's probably the product of having so many storylines and all these new characters right because if they didn't have them they could probably focus more on the core stuff in fact i heard the best analogy for what's going on it was written by chris orr who writes the new york times ted lasso recaps he's brilliant he's really a great writer and i love his takes on things but his take on it was Remember when you were a little kid and you were taking a test and you thought you had enough room to write your whole answer and then you wrote really big at the beginning and then you had to proceed to get smaller and smaller and smaller and write to fit your answer in on the page? He said that's what they were doing with season three. And I thought that was so apt and so fitting. They're having to write smaller and smaller, even though they're expanding the episodes. We missed out on some of the coolest stuff that we could have had such a great time with. We didn't get to see what happened over at West Ham with Bex and Miss Cakes. We could have seen all of that drama, which would have been beautiful. Or why Nate left in the first place. Yeah, we didn't get to see that either. I wonder if they're going to reveal any of that to us. I mean, I think that we need kind of a a do-over. We need a season 3.5 so that we can see all of the stuff that we didn't get to see behind the scenes. Like, we need that. I think they should give it to us. Mr. Sudeikis, if you're listening to me, you can do it like a mockumentary where you're going behind the scenes and we get to see all of these things happening that we didn't get to see on screen during season three. So even within Nate's own arc, we didn't need to see him at Taste of Athens four times. One of those could have been devoted to the team debating whether to bring Nate back or not. I'm so confused as to why they have done certain things and not done others, because you're so right. I wanted to see more of Nate's internal journey, and I don't know that the action at Taste of Athens was really it. Although I did, my heart broke just a tiny little bit watching him watch the television with the game on. I was like, oh, Nate, you miss your people so much. But I would love to have seen him go, oh, fuck, I miss Richmond and I really screwed up and it was all my fault. I'm glad he said that out loud. 
I just wanted to see the moment where it happened. To quote Hamilton, I want to be in the room where it happens. So to that line you pointed out, I liked how initially said it was mostly my fault and then correct himself, it was all my fault. I do like that we saw him looking guilty. I love Jade so much though. Again, I have to say, always been a Jade supporter, loved her and I love that she is such a force for good and not allowing him to just cop out and avoid the hard stuff when his soul clearly belongs coaching and doing that because that really is his path. Good for Jade. I don't care that she had to blackmail Derek. I think she should use what she's got on Derek for as long and as much as she wants. And then to just add to your point about Nate watching the Richmond game on the TV, on Twitter, Ren made a astute observation that in season two, when Nate was bullying Colin, they were doing training session and he said, right, I need all our best goal scorers on the pitch right now. Go, Colin, you can sit this one out, okay? And then when he was watching the TV, he actually said, Colin's open, and then he does a fist pump when Colin scores. Yeah, Nate was so cruel to Colin. That was next level cruelty on purpose for no good reason. He has a lot of making up to do. Yeah, so then for Colin to be part of the band of Greyhounds that try to recruit Nate back, then there's like even more confusion of why we didn't see any of the deliberation at Richmond about the decision. Yeah, and if you remember in season two, when they found out that somebody leaked Ted's panic attack to the press, Colin wanted to take a bar of soap, stick it in a sock and beat the perpetrator about the head and chest. Like if only Colin knew the depth of Nate's betrayals. Ooh, but I, that's the kind of conflict that I wanna see. I wanna see that working itself out. I wanna see that big jumble and that big knot of tension get sorted through. I think we can go on about how much we're not seeing the things that we wanna see and be disappointed. Or for my own self, I can forgive. <laughs> I, can for I can forgive the show for not giving me what I want and just try to enjoy the last bit that we have left because I don't want to be down about it or upset about it, but it's definitely been something that has been kind of a, a situation that reminds you that it's happening while you're watching too. You know what I mean? Like as you're watching it, you're like, oh man, I wanted to see what happens. But I will say this episode was so perfectly Ted Lasso because of the many times that they made me cry they then slipped in something so funny that I was literally giggling through my tears. And that's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing about Ted Lasso, that they can move your heart so much that you weep, but then you're giggling in 30 seconds. And it doesn't take away from, you know, the profound moments. It just makes them even more impactful to me. Is that how you feel about it too? I'm not sure that I would use the exact same words that it's more impactful because they added humor, but I think it's definitely more memorable. Oh, you know, I forgot though. You're you're a stone cold killer. You don't cry. No, I completely lied when I made the meme that told the, the show to fuck off because they made me cry so much. That was a complete lie. But that's that's how social media works, right? Everything's a lie on social media. My assistant and I were passing the tissue box back and forth like we were playing hot potato. It was fun. In case y'all couldn't tell, we were being sarcastic there. Even Beard cried. The single tear. I didn't notice a single tear because I couldn't see it through my tears. That headbutt, oh my God, the slow headbutt. Nate has no idea how profound that beard forgiveness is. I hope he grasps 
the gravitas that moment was. I really hope he gets it. Well, the smile that slowly took over his face would seem to seem like he gets it at least a little. Well, it's not like we'll get to see it anyway if he does. Oh, oh snap. I have to laugh about it or I'm going to cry. A lot of people said Beard's apology was like the backstory we didn't know that we needed. So, so good. I love that we got a glimpse into the Man of Mysteries backstory. I loved it. I thought Brendan Hunt was devastating. I swear. If they don't, if Beard and Jamie don't get Emmy nods this year, I'm going to be majorly, majorly upset. So I wish they would have given us some of Nate feeling regret and actually trying to make amends and earning the second chance that Beard was speaking about so beautifully. I mean, it seems like Ted is very clearly stating that Nate deserves a chance to come home just because we shouldn't be judging people on their very worst and weakest moments. I mean, clearly that hit Beard right in the heart. It hit him in his feeling like Roy Kent because he let out a very Roy Kent fuck. That was such a Roy. The Roy Kent effect is in full effect for everybody on the show. Now, while I love that Nate deserves to come home, it feels like maybe it was just kind of a little bit of a cop out, but maybe they'll give us more. Maybe they'll really have Nate work for his return home and work for a second chance because I just feel like we didn't really get to see the the full force of Nate's arc you know but again I sound like a broken record I'm sorry I'm repeating myself but one thing that makes me feel better is that sometimes I feel like we're being too critical but I'm not gonna throw people under the bus but one of the writers that I read regularly who gushes about Ted Lasso all the time in the reviews and then one of the most prominent Ted Lasso podcasts they have made the similar criticism that they're leaving way too much out of the episode, so I was glad to find that out. Just makes me want more. Like I said, let's lobby Mr. Sudeikis to give us a behind-the-scenes kind of office-like view of what happened that we didn't get to see. I think that would be brilliant, by the way. Nate doesn't know, like, for instance, that Ted has his photo on his dresser at home in the most revered place that it could be. Like, I want to see... All of these realizations take place. I want to see Nate come to terms with all of the crap that he was so upset about and talk to Ted about it in a way that actually heals their rift. So come on, episode 12. Since it's still TBD, whether we'll recap previous seasons, since you've mentioned episode 12 and Nate getting into with Ted, that's one of the issues I had with the season finale for season two because Nate essentially waited the whole season to finally talk to Ted one-on-one and he didn't hear him out. He just lashed out and left. He didn't give Ted a chance to tell his side of the story and maybe hear about that the photo was on his fucking dresser. Which, I mean, I think was necessary to move the plot forward and have Nate leave. Because obviously if Ted had said, no, 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 you're on my, the picture's on my dresser at home and I do care about you, then Nate wouldn't have had any impetus to take off. Or it would have been different. I get that that was what was going on at the time. And it didn't upset me then. It did frustrate me because, come on, Nate. But yeah, they didn't really show us what was going on behind the scenes. Man, Brendan Hunt was so brilliant in that scene. His expression was scarier than Freddy Krueger and his knife hands. (laughs) Beard's expression when he was at the door? Yeah, he looked like he definitely might have headbutted him with the way he was looking at Nate. Yeah, when he turned his cap around, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. 
<laughs> Here we go. And it was so gentle and beautiful. I do feel like we got a little bit of a plot twist because Nate hiding under the table for five plus hours was not what I was expecting whatsoever. And I think Ted knew when he was regaling Beard with that story and making him watch, Ted knew exactly what he was doing. As he was walking out of the office, I, I noticed it today on my third watch that he said, and we rely on each other. He was singing that as he walked out of the office which just to really drive his point home. Well, technically that was also because Beard said that for karaoke, he was going to sign up for Island in the Streams. And in case you didn't see it on my Twitter, Jason Sudeikis sang that during karaoke in real life. So in 2021, the after party for the Emmys where Jason won his first Emmy, the show won his first Best Comedy Emmy, they had a bit of a soiree to celebrate. And it was also Jason's birthday a couple of days prior. So they celebrated that as well. But anyways, yeah. He and uh, former Ted Lasso writer Ashley Nicole Black were singing Islands in the Stream. That's awesome. I love that they brought that back. So for the football side of things, going into the Manchester match, Richmond had won 15 in a row, which at first glance, to me at least, sound ridiculous. But then I looked it up and the record is actually 18. And that's shared by Liverpool and guess who? Man City for their 2018-2019 winning streak. You looked it up too? I did. I'm proud. Yes, indeed. I do love the soccer bits. I love it so much. I loved watching it. It just, it gave me chills and it made me really happy. And it was so wonderful to watch all of it. Like, I want to see them just play. I may get FIFA now. So since they won against Manchester, that's 16 and then if they win the final match next week to win the whole fucking thing, that'd be 17. So technically, that's still one less than the official record. So when you look at it that way, it's actually sort of realistic. Although I will say, I haven't looked through the entire season for both Liverpool and Manchester City in those when they had the 18 match winning streaks. But I would wager that they didn't go six or seven matches or whatever Richmond did without a win because it's really hard to win a title if you go on a drought like that. So. Yeah, you kind of need a Zava to ratchet you back up into the standings. The press conference with Sam, Roy, and Jamie at the beginning was pretty fun, especially since we also got a callback. When Lloyd said that they won 15 in a row, and Sam's like, do you have a question? Which is, of course, what Ted said to Trent. I also love how Roy keeps coming with new nicknames for Marcus before we had new Trent, and now it's better Trent. Speaking of nicknames, I didn't realize at first that when Roy Kent was calling one of the reporters the Goblin King, it was a reference to the movie Labyrinth. And it was that new reporter with the blonde hair, the woman who he was calling the Goblin King because she looks just like David Bowie. That little light bulb went off in my head. That is quite the reference. They do everything. I mean, all of the references in this show with hair, sunny side of the street, Les Mis, there were so many references, so many crossovers. In fact, one of my favorite ones, which I thought was so completely random and just kind of fun and funny, was when Higgins walks in and he said, what is time, Higgs boson? And that's just a reference to the Higgs boson particle, <laughs> which is said it gives matter its mass. That was very funny to me. They're sly with the deep cuts over there at the Ted Lasso show. So as for more references, we've had a lot of You've Got Mail throughout the course of this season in the series overall. So I remember a few episodes ago when they had opening montage of shops opening up, that was directly from You've Got Mail. And then last season, same song as well, 
And then last season, when they had the whole banter storyline, LDN152 was actually NY152 or something like that, and you've got mail. And of course, the whole premise of banter is you can't see the, who the other person is because there's no pictures. And and you've got mail, they were emailing each other, so they didn't have pictures either. So Yeah, and Boss Girl in the movie was Shop Girl. So they did both of their handles as a reference. I think that's the one movie that I've watched almost as many times as, I, as I've watched Ted Lasso. I didn't really love it. Well, Ted's not wrong that Sleepless in Seattle is a better film, but it just is one of those comfort food kind of watches for me. It's familiar and I like it. And I love Tom Hanks. Maybe I'm petty like that, but if you're putting me out of business, we ain't falling in love, yo. <laughs> Note to self, don't put Kevin out of business. I love the reactions of everyone after the film ended. Oh, I know. The team, the team crying together was so good. But oh, that Rebecca and Sam moment unnerved me. Why this late in the series do we even need that? That was so unnecessary. What are they trying to do? Trying to create a diversion. I also enjoyed that throwaway line. I think it was maybe Colin. It was like, yeah, that was actually Dave Chappelle. When I was first watching, it was like, hey, that's Dave Chappelle. Oh, one very, very important note. When United Press International interviewed Jason Sudeikis, there was something he was talking about, and he replied with, what if Nora Ephron wrote a sports film? As funny as the show is, it goes to some sweet, sincere, and heartfelt places, too. What was that in reference to? Do you think that's foreshadowing? Well, I've had some people message me about Ted Becca since they know I shipped them, and they're worried that it might not happen. And I pointed to You've Got Mail and then zoomed out to romantic comedies in general that the male and female lead, when do they usually get together, Chris Ann? At the very end. So I'm saving hope for episode 12. Going down with the ship. I've actually been kind of, oh my God, Kevin, I'm so sorry to say this to you. I'm really doubtful that it's actually going to happen. I'm feeling like it's not, but hope against hope. I mean, they did talk about Sleepless in Seattle and obviously you've got mail. They get together at the very, very end and they didn't know that they were meant to be together. They only hoped, which is why I keep, think they keep wedging or making references to you've got mail. My biggest hope is that they will give it to us right at the end. Well, technically is the only hope now. Yeah, that's true. It is the only hope. And now it's time for We've Got Mail. So Kevin, a couple of days ago, I got this really lovely DM from my new friend, Samuel Gonzalez on Twitter. And he said, hi, Chris Ann. I hope you're very well. I listen to your podcast every week and I love it. Ted Lasso has changed my life in so many ways, and it's good to know that there are many believers around the world, because that makes me feel like I'm not alone. This show is everything, and I want you to know that everything you're doing is important. Sorry if I make some mistakes writing this, but I'm not a native English speaker, but I've been learning English with the show as well. Hugs and kisses, onwards, forwards. Isn't that so sweet? That really touched my heart. I thought that was lovely. Shout out to Samuel for such a nice message. And thanks to everyone else who sent in a review or rating this week because we had a bunch. So really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. I think it's so cool that Ted Lasso brings so many people together. I mean, when you think about how you and I became friends, Kevin, how completely random it was that I just loved your Instagram page and we started talking and now look at us. There's nothing random about how good my Instagram page is. No, there's not. It's very calculated. I have met so many amazing people because of Ted Lasso. 
and because of you, it's just a universal force of good in the world, you know? Speaking of good, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast, the awards. Chris Ann and I are both huge Ted Lasso fans and we're nice people. So each week we give out awards in a variety of fun categories. First up, MVP. MVP! MVP! I have like an actual athletic MVP as well as the MVP of my heart. And my athletic MVP is obviously Van Damme. He's good. He was so amazing. I love that he had that just incredible athletic arc and it was really really fun to watch speaking of van damme which one of our canadian listeners wants to step up like he did because on apple Podcasts we only have four ratings and not a single review so come on help out a fellow canadian here come on all you greyhounds so my other mvp the mvp of my heart is coach beard for rising above and putting his feelings about nate's betrayal aside and inviting him back to the club I would say Brendan Hunt definitely gets the acting MVP. There better be some Emmy nods. As for me, I'm going with Jamie Tart. So he did three big things on the pitch. He made a goal with the assist for Collins' opener. He saved the goal with that amazing clearance off the line. And he scored a goal, which was apparently so good that it was explicit and they could not show us. I mentioned that Phil Dunster had a lot of great physical comedy moments, so touch into that now. He fainted when Keeley mentioned all the shitty things that was going to happen at the match. And then earlier, when he was with Roy in the boot room, he was kind of spiraling and spinning and flailing his hands. And then when they're getting ready to board the team bus, one of the fans wanted a high five, but then he, Jamie just r- ran his face through his hand. A high five head moment. And then Jamie also has three fun analogies. You can tell like the rule of three. Again, in the boot room with Roy, he was comparing himself to the guy in the Red Bull commercial, but he's lost his wings. And then when he was with his mom, he's like, oh, feels like my soul is like the guys whose willies can't get hard. And then he compared a suitcase to a drawer without a home. But maybe the most impressive thing was that he finally let go of his anger towards his dad. He sent out a text message to reach out and seems like he's... In a happier place now, now that he's not fueled by hate. It really seems like he's moving forward, our Jamie Tart, our number nine. Such a great storyline for him this week. I loved it. I love that Phil Dunster. Now on the other side of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. Let's see what we got here. Wanker. My wanker wasn't actually in the episode. <laughs> But it's Rupert. I mean, obviously, he must have done something completely dastardly to have Bex and Miss Cakes show up at Rebecca's door. And because he's the easiest wanker for me to choose, because I really couldn't think of another person that was a wanker. Oh, well, I guess if I'm being honest, Ted was a real big wanker to his mom. But that flips the script entirely. But I think Ted was a little wankery this week. But isn't that a result of his mom being a wanker over the years? Yes, actually, you're right. But it doesn't matter if what the cause is. He was still being a wanker to his mom, which he apologized for, and which is totally understandable. Now, with everything you said, it makes me look bad for picking his mom as the wanker. His mom actually was a huge wanker this episode. You're not wrong. I mean, that line, I got this trip 
to London as a Mother's Day gift to myself. Like, was that necessary? And to show up unannounced? Who does that? But I think the worst was leaving the panic attack newspaper clipping on the front. Like, why would you put that one in the front? You can still ask about it without doing that. The way she did that whole situation was super wankery. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? We kind of already talked about this, but I'm giving it to Beard this week. Beard's getting all my awards just because of his very Roy Kent. Fuck. Before he goes to talk to Nate before karaoke. I'm giving mine to Tez's mom because she threw back a fuck you to him at the perfect moment. And I think it was like the first time she was able to make Tez smile for her whole trip there. So it kind of worked in, in a good way. The You're Gonna Make Me Cry award. The whole Jamie thing really made me weep, but the, the beard and Nate scene, I was a waterfall the whole time. That scene was so touching and profound and great and funny. I definitely agree with Chrisanne that this was the scene that made me cry the most. So I'll highlight another one. The first one that made me cry was when Jamie got the ovation from the Man City fans because clearly throughout the match they hated his guts, but he was so good that they had to respect it. And as a sports fan, it is so, so rare to have the opposition applaud you like that. So. Oh, and the kicker of seeing his dad watching him on the television from the rehab center. As though I wasn't crying hard enough. The I've always funnier than stepbrothers. Award. So for me, it was when the lads went from asking for the 75 kebabs and then going back and having everybody do the sight gag of eating the kebabs. I giggled so hard through that whole scene. It made me so happy. So usually for this award, we pick just a line or a scene or a moment, but Jade was on fucking fire the whole episode, so I'm, I'm awarding it to her. That disappearing act. Hilarious. Speaking of disappearing, when she told Colin, Isaac, and Will, would you care to wait not here? <laughs> and then her fake outrage when Nate came home to tell her that he got fired. So that bastard. I do think it shows Nate's growth that he wasn't mad that it happened at all. I feel like old night would have been like, why are you doing this to me? And like, they would have gone into a fight, but. There was that unspoken little moment between them when he got it. He, he knows that his place really is with Richmond and she didn't want him to waste his talent and passion. Now for the award that's all about fashion. She's fucking fat! Our boss ass bitch was on fire yet again. And during the scene where she doesn't give Ted her truth bomb this year, she wore a dress that she's worn in previous episodes. It's an Alexander McQueen plaid dress, and it is this gorgeous Prince of Wales Czech wool blend. And it's just like the most gorgeous thing ever. And of course, Hannah Waddingham rocks it. My apologies for always making Rebecca the, the award winner, but let's be honest. I think some of us watch the show just to see how amazing she's going to look every week. And now it's time for my corner kick, y'all. What do you want me to do? I don't know. 
just kick the hell out of it. So my corner kick this week is all about the poem that May recited to Ted over at the pinball machine. It's Philip Larkin's This Be the Verse. And he was actually one of the most famous poets in 20th century Great Britain. And the poem is all about the genetic inheritance and upbringing and that our parents mess us up, but it's not really their fault because they were also messed up by their parents and that that's the way of humanity. It's like a coastal shelf where deposits of sand build up. And so the misery just deepens over generations. And the opening lines, they fuck you up, your mom and dad, is so memorable. Now, it's really interesting because as I was researching this, I learned that Larkin wrote this poem after spending some time with his mom. And I thought that was just so perfect because the scholars that have analyzed his poetry actually did a historical timeline of his life and where he was based on where he was teaching and came up with the timeline that he wrote it in April of 1971 after spending the Easter holidays with his mother. I think it's so beautiful. And I think Annette Badland recited it with such beauty and unexpected gravitas. I thought it was just gorgeous. And last but not least, since I'm a writer and I love Ted Lasso, it's Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. And it goes to Ted for when he said, I hope either all of us or neither of us are judged by our weakest moments. And that's something we live by here at Ted Lasso's Life, the podcast. It may seem like it's all sunshine and rainbows between Chris Ann and I, but believe it or not, there have been a couple of storms, but we were able to move past those because of this exact mantra. Absolutely, Kevin. I'm really glad that we both hold that tenet in our hearts and minds as we do this. And it brings to mind another great Ted Lasso quote when he says, if you got a little love in your heart, there's really nothing you can't work out between people. I think that's the way we roll. And I'm really, really grateful to be on this ride with you. So thanks, friend. And thanks for being on this ride with me. It's been a blast. Now I'm going to cry again. And now it's out of time since the final whistle is about to blow on this podcast episode. So we're giving you some last shots of things that we thought were noteworthy. Hello, Roy's mullet. Hair and makeup designer Nikki Austin posted on her Instagram the behind the scenes of how that came together. So definitely check that out. Speaking of Instagram, Paul also posted their process of turning a local Richmond location into the hotel in Manchester, which is really good to see. If you're not following him on Instagram, you should. Paul Cripps, by the way, folks, it's Paul Cripps. So considering episode 11 now, probably not going to get Nora. So it was good to at least hear about her when Rebecca said that she'd take the bus because she had a strongly worded text from Nora. The goddamn environment. Which has got to be a callback to the goddamn internet, right? Speaking of Leslie Higgins' callbacks, you remember at the Man City match, he was essentially a stone figure for the whole thing because he didn't want to celebrate because he was afraid he was going to jinx it. And I think that's a callback to the Chelsea episode when they were talking about the whole Zava thing and then Rebecca said that he jinxed it. Right. I didn't put that together, but I love it. And the way she just turned his face. So, so very good. I think that Katie Wicks earlier in the show when she asks... Roy, if he was there about the pipes, and then Roy saying that they looked nice. And of course, the shirt that she got, the blouse, came from a car boot sale, and she got it for $2, which as a woman is a badge 
of MFing honor when you get an awesome piece of clothing for the best bargain that you can get it for. And it turns out to be fabulous and you get compliments on it. It's my favorite thing to do. Barbara was my runner up for the Funnier Than Step Brothers Award because she was so funny just eating that apple, which I guess is also kind of a sort of a callback because remember in the funeral episode, Roy is pissing off Keely by eating an apple. So he had got a taste of his own medicine. Tastes like dead people. So have you ever bought anything from a quote unquote car boot sale? So for us here in North America, that'd be out of somebody's trunk. No, I have not. But there is a place in Los Angeles called Santee Alley. And there were fellas selling handbags out of their boot before they got rounded up by the police. So almost could have happened. Can I just acknowledge Keely's amazing pink fluffy jacket? I love that pink fluffy jacket. I actually got a very similar jacket to her blue fluffy jacket from season two because I was obsessed with it. It's my Keeley jacket. I got it on Poshmark for a super deal. I enjoyed the sorry sorry gag between Rebecca and Dottie. Yeah, that was funny. Dottie was just so wonderful and funny. What other show do you know ever has influences of Snoop Dogg, Les Mis, Hair, The Sunny Side of the Street, which is an old standard from like the 20s and 30s? What else? You've got me. I mean, all of the different influences, science, psychology, and a poet. All of these amazing influences all came together in this show that's essentially a comedy. It just blows my mind the things that they weave together to make the layers of the show. And a running sight gag eating a kebab. Hannah Waddingham and Adita Budnick, so funny. When she eats the kebab at the end, killed me. And can I just call out Cola Bocchini's award-winning smile when Nate offers him 25 each of the chicken lamb? Nate the Great! Cola has the best smile. I think in one of the FYC events last year, the one where James Lance hosted, I think he complimented Cola as having like one of the best smiles in the world or something. When he radiates joy, he just lights up the world. Oh my God. And I could not handle how Danny Rojas was saying, Mama Lasso. So to go back to your observation about how Ted was saying the, we rely on each other line from Islands in the Stream. After he said that, then it made me think of when he was showing his mom his apartment and he was talking about the oven. He's like, the key symbol makes the whole thing beep until Beard comes and fixes it for me. It's like, oh. Beard fixes everything. Except his relationship with Jane. But him telling Dottie about it in the pub. Oh, and then Baz yelling over, your mom's the bollocks. And Paul saying, we just became friends on Facebook. I'll never get enough of those guys. They're so great. So when Dottie's talking about parenting and then she says, all we got to do is keep playing, that reminded me of what Ted said a few episodes ago when he said, ain't nothing to it but to do it. Just got to keep going. Just got to keep showing up. Never give up. Just like Vincent Van Gogh. Speaking of Ted, that is the most fucking Ted password ever. <laughs> BBQ sauce. He actually fulfilled like standard password requirements though. It is eight characters long. It has upper and lowercase characters as a special character. And my heart was so touched that Dottie made Ted's sunflower seed bread, the Kansas State flower. This is really the penultimate episode, and next week is our last forever and ever. This show absolutely 100% left me better than it found me. Please don't go. Please don't go. 
another callback we got was seeing Cheryl Barnaby, who was infamously in the Gal episode, trying to bid on both Jamie and then Roy. It's not rough, Ted. It's no fun. So something that some people on Twitter pointed out was that when Rebecca was talking about how her father knew Freddie Mercury and said that despite his four octave range, his more impressive feat was being able to flip straights. Many of them said it was pretty interesting that Rebecca said that because apparently a lot of ladies feel that way about Hannah. I totally get that. I'm on board with that. I did love the moment when they pulled in and the song was Fat Bottom Girls. It was so great. A random related note to that, when they were filming the movie scene, there was this part where there's a QR code from the projector that was being shown right on Christo's ass. So then Tohib was trying to see if the QR code actually worked and Jeremy posted that on, on his Instagram. It's almost like losing two things if Ted Lasso goes. There's a show, which is of course amazing, but like all the people involved with it, the cast, the crew, they're all amazing too. So it's like losing two things, not just one. Yeah, and they're so great. They interact with all of the fans online, which is so wonderful. I was so thrilled once Cola retweeted me and I was blown away. So on that note, since next week is the season finale, potentially a series finale, we're going to end off with some predictions. So of course, we left this episode on a cliffhanger with Rebecca not having a truth bomb, but Ted having one instead. A, what is the truth bomb going to be? And B, are we going to actually see it? I think it's going to be Ted telling Rebecca that he's going back to Kansas. I think he's going to turn in his resignation and he's going to leave on a jet plane. Is it going to be the same recognition that he wrote on a takeout menu in the season one finale, though? Maybe it'll be a takeout menu from Ola's. So yeah, it definitely seems like they're leaning towards Ted leaving. But I don't know. One of the things with this show is... They often flip the narrative on what would be the conventional way of doing things, so... Yeah, the hope that kills you totally got me. Never ever would have expected that they would still get relegated after they scored that goal. And that Jamie would have made the extra pass to get them relegated. So maybe they have another one up their sleeves. So as for Richmond, with the way things have been going, they're now definitely going to win the whole fucking thing, right? They have to. They can't not. I think the show is contractually obligated... So if I recall from our like trailer reaction slash predictions, I think you were thinking that they probably wouldn't win. So given that, and with what happened across the season, would it feel like it made sense it was earned? Oh, for sure. I'm happy to be wrong about that. I don't know for me, like, I know the show is technically not about football, but I feel like sometimes we don't get enough and kind of loses momentum and... Yeah, I would enjoy a lot more football on the show as well. I hope we get some next week. I mean, we have to. It's final game. So with that, they're probably going to be facing West Ham, right? I hope so, because we haven't seen the second game. But since we don't see a lot of things, it would be so excellent if it was West Ham and they just wiped them all over the field. And then we got some super juicy scandal about Rupert and find out why Nate left. Gosh, that would make me happy. And then the evil empire goes down when the rebels win and they blow up the Death Star. Here's a prediction for me. When Richmond win the whole fucking thing, Ted has got to be doing that viral dance he did in the pilot when he won with Wichita State, right? That has to be contractually obligated as well. Yeah, if he doesn't repeat his Wichita State dance, it'll be a crime, which we already know Ted's a little bit of a criminal because he's still a car. 
We had Grand Theft Auto not once, but twice this episode. Speaking of Ted, another prediction is that we'll have a final Ted press conference. And in the episode, we'll also get a mention of the lasso way. A lasso way, yes. And I think we'll also see the Ussy guy again because we haven't seen him this season. I wonder who he's going to want an Ussy with next. Rebecca? Nate? Keely? No, he already had one with Keely. Technically, that was a whole group shot. That is very true. And since they mentioned that they're going to call back some stuff in the pilot, since they mentioned Oasis, I'm hoping we get an Oasis song of some kind. Oh, that would be cool. One, which I wonder which one it will be. Well, if I were to pick... Well, for when they win the whole fucking thing, Champagne Supernova would be a nice celebratory song for it. Yeah, that would be a fun song. No matter what happens during the finale, we'll be back here to discuss it and break it down for you. And don't get upset if I'm crying. We'll be crying if Ted Becca happens. We'll be crying if Ted Becca doesn't happen. So crying either way. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could be like Ted and give us a five-star certified fresh review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward. Forward.